And now it is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. So glad you tuned in again today to the show. We really appreciate it. I want you to know that. Don't take it for granted if you're listening and hope that you'll make it a habit to tune in every Sunday morning at uh, 9 o'clock here in WPSL for the show. We're on for an hour. We're going to be taking your calls, comments, and questions here right away at the show. So anything that's on your mind, you can feel free to discuss with us. We want to invite everybody to participate, whether you uh, are a Christian or not, whether you're a believer or not. We'd love to have you participate in the show. I'm sure you've got something of a spiritual nature that you'd like to discuss one way or the other, or maybe you've heard us say something that you find is ridiculous or outrageous, disagree with, or you want to add to the discussion. We'd be glad to hear what you have to say on the show. We're going to give you the numbers in just a moment or the way that you can reach us. Excuse me. We have a couple of different ways you can get a hold of us. We'll give you those in just a moment so you can participate in the show. My name is Mike Schmidt. As you heard, I'm one of the elders and the preacher of the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And Gary Jones, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing good this morning, Mike. He's the other elder of the church here and partner in the show, and we certainly are glad that we can be together with you today. Let me give you the numbers, and we're going to go to the phones. You can reach us here in w, uh, on WPSL here at live, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. Three four zero fifteen ninety one five nine zero is how you get a hold of us here. We'll put you right through. We're going to give you the last word. We're not going to, if we disagree, we'll let you know. And we're going to try to give you scriptural reasons for the position that we take and something for you to look up. But we're not going to, we're not here to embarrass or somehow intimidate people. We appreciate you calling in. If you'd like to text the show, there's two text numbers. I have one, Mike and Gary has one. There's very similar, but there's 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is my number, and then Gary's number is 772-260-6220. 772-260-6220 is his number. We'd be glad to receive your text, not only during the show today, we'll try to respond if we can, but also any time during the week if you've got a question or comment you'd like to uh, leave for us we'll be glad to hear hear that um so anyway i gary go ahead yeah i, I just then had, we got a phone call so. uh i just had one short probably take about five minutes before phone call uh we normally read john twelve forty eight, or i do uh, basically trying to get folks and people who read the bible to understand that this what's said here is is jesus's words but he goes further in John 12:48, he says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. But verse 49 says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. Um, I think sometimes we maybe lose sight of the fact that uh for the most part, Mike, when you and I look at Scripture and try to help people understand, it really doesn't matter what Mike thinks or what Gary thinks or what we believe. What really matters is what God said and what He's, what He thinks and what He believes and what He intended 
uh, from these scriptures. And I just wanted to get that out. I had read a, a basically uh, an article that appeared this last week that I found, I think it may before that, uh, some students at Seattle Pacific University, a religious university that's affiliated with the Methodist Church, these students upon graduation, instead of shaking the professor's hand, actually gave them rainbow flags for the LGBT uh, movement because the university, because of its uh, religious beliefs, will not hire, uh, you know, gays and transgenders and so on. And this student said she's not going to basically stop protesting until they change their policy. And it just, it struck me that this student really doesn't realize that their policy, I think in, in their view, comes from a higher authority. And that's just what I wanted to point out. Of course, she probably doesn't believe in the higher authority. authority she doesn't, right. certainly doesn't believe that the scriptures are to be taken you know, seriously, fundamentally, right. rather than in some uh, interpreted through the lens of critical theory or something like that. That's the whole problem. So, you know, the, the college that I went to, uh, it wasn't a matter back then of hiring. Well, I'm sure it was in the policy that they're not going to hire professors who are openly homosexual. Uh, but you weren't allowed to practice homosexuality as a student there either, nor... And that, that isn't really what it wasn't pointed at gay people. You weren't allowed, they weren't going to hire a professor who was living with his girlfriend, her boyfriend. They, they weren't going to hire heterosexuals who were, who were just living together outside of the commands of Scripture. There, there are certain moral gonna, standards. And as a student, you couldn't sleep with girls in your dormitory. You couldn't do that. Yes. It was against the rules. You'd be expelled if you did that. So it wasn't just pointed at homosexuals. It was against, it was uh, upholding what simple biblical morality at that point in time. Now that I told someone the other day, because I was just over there at the school, my grandkids are there, students now, that that school probably isn't going to last very long, much longer in this society. It can't. There's the federal government right now, our president and his cabinet are figuring out ways that they can shut those places down by some little legal maneuvers of title X or whatever it may be. They're going to shut those places down. Who do not conform to transgender and LGBT uh, doctrines. It does not conform to their standards. Right. Anyway, um, I just you, you know th these okay. people just fail to understand that those who those who hold deep values based on the Bible are are look to the Bible for those values uh, answer to a different different standard. Well, they view it partly as well. You people are just a bunch of uneducated uh, hicks. And and uh, judgmental people who don't like gay people because they're different. You're homophobe. You're afraid of gay people somehow. That's the word homophobe, which is utterly ridiculous. Yes, right. But you're the re, you're afraid of gay people, and so therefore you've went to the Bible now and made up this teaching. They don't view it that it's the other way around. That they <laughs> we they've read the Bible, understand what it says, and then they've tried to. Uh, you know, formulate a teaching based on what the Bible says about these things and has been a cultural standard for a long time. So anyway, um, we better get to the phones. Well, right? basically, who's afraid of what teaching is? Then? Right, right. That's right. All right. First of all, we have I just Ken, to say Ken and then we have Jerry on the phone today. So, Ken, go right ahead. Hi, hi Mike. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? 
got a uh, couple things for you today. Okay. Um, so first is, uh, uh, I'll give you a couple scriptures, and then I'll talk about what I want to talk about. Um, uh, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, and Exodus 24, 3. Uh, the only two scriptures I'm going to refer to you today. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you a bit overall what I want to talk about. Then we'll go specifically. Exodus 3, uh, what was the verses? 24-3. Okay. 24-3. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what Jesus, uh, what is said in Ephesians about marriage and responsibilities of the husband and the wife. Then I want to go and talk about Moses and the Ketubah, which is a marriage covenant. Then I want to talk about a question Dennis Prager asked on his show about what excludes people from being part of the church. And specifically, he was referring to uh, Gays not being being excluded from the church. Um, okay, so basically that's what I want to talk about. Okay. So Ephesians five thirty two. So this is okay. a great mystery, and I speak, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's the New King James Version. Those are the scriptures. You, those are, are those the scriptures you had in mind. Right, right. In this in this passage, Jesus is talking about the duties of the husband and the duties of the wife. And then at the end, and then then he comes up with this verse, which seems almost out of place. And he says he's not talking about husband and wives. He's talking about the church. Right. So what, what's he mean here? He's comparing the church to a marriage. He's re- I, I, I don't think he's saying I'm not talking about husbands and wives. I think it's clear from the verses he is talking about husbands and wives on earth. But he's saying this is... this. The reason, I'll I'll put my words on it, recognize that. He's saying the reason this is like it is, is because it is paralleled to uh, the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. There's a parallel in relationship there. And so the husband, in this case it would be Christ as the husband, loves his wife gives himself for her benefit and the wife must see that she respects her husband honors him as it were now of course i also believe ken that the very creation of man and woman the way that it was in the book of genesis parallels uh this very idea that's been that's being put forth here uh hang on a second i think i've got something going on I don't know what to do.
Hey, sorry about that. I have no idea. I don't know whether I'm going to blame uh, the internet, but it's possible I fidget around up here and bump some button, kick myself off the air. But uh, in any event, uh, what I was saying is, I think the creation of man and woman it shows in the very nature of it that God did it separately to differentiate between the husband and the wife in their roles and then the very purpose for which they were created. And then it's emphasized again, shown here in Ephesians, that the role of the husband and wife is not based upon some evolutionary sociological thing that's been made up by human beings, but it's based upon God's created order, and that created order is, is parallel or reflective of the relationship between Christ as the Savior of the body and the wife as the bride of Christ as, as his body. So the church is the body and, it, and so forth. So there's all manner of parallel. I don't think it was, I don't think that he came along and gave up the acts, the example and said, um, here's husbands and wives. Oh, and by the way, that looks like the church. I think he, I think all this was done from creation. And so this is a fundamental Christian teaching that the role relationships and the differences between the two two sexes are fundamental from the time of creation and they're reflective of a higher spiritual truth uh, that exists in the universe that we can't see. Now, Ken, I'm not sure if that was your point or not, but that's, what I, that's how I would generally take these verses. Um you're not united in I thought I read that verse I guess I didn't read that verse in just a moment so the idea now in it's a little bit different word in Greek and it simply means first or one and it, it does signify unity so that when you marry a, when you marry a woman or a man a woman marries a man the whole Intention should be, according to the Bible, to become one flesh, one person, as it were. You still remain two, of course, but you become one in unity, purpose, and over time in everything else. It's it's a process that takes place between two people. Uh, it, it also is a direct reference to the physical sexual relationship, which is not just some accidental thing put here by evolution to procreate the species this goes back to the very essence of being human and the essence of this this unity is brought about to a large degree or by the physical union so not only is there a physical representation of human beings being joined together and their bodies being literally made for each other but that's that that represents a a intentional joining together of the whole person. That's why it's such a grievous sin to misuse the sexual relationship and make it just a hookup, a hookup culture. It's foreign Bible calls it fornication and adultery against God. It is a serious sin when you misuse this relationship. So there is this intentional oneness. Now that goes that flies in the face of so many different cultural norms that we have today about sexuality and about marriage and about gender and everything else it just it opens up so many problems of course and I think Ken that's why our culture goes in that direction because our culture is being guided not by light from above but by darkness from below and it knows 
the devil knows where what God has said, and he knows how to influ- influence men to go in the other direction. And he know I think he knows how to attack man in the most productive way to yeah. get his end. Get him in the right, go in the right direction to cause the most damage. This is where it is, and it's causing very great damage. So I think you probably want to make another point about this, Ken. I'm, I could ramble on for the rest of the show about before, this. Go before ahead. you do, I'd also like to point out, Ken, this is not the only place. This is mentioned all over the New Testament. If you start really looking for it, uh, one of the primary ones is Jeremiah 31, 32. Um, basically, he says, Behold, in 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. It's you know, another direct reference to that parallel that we're talking about. And a direct reference to that parallel in view of the covenant that was made with the people uh, through Moses and the Lord. That's right. Because they broke the first one, and they broke it in a particular way. Uh, if you even go back through, he talks about giving a certificate of divorce to the northern kingdom. Why did he do that? Because they worshipped other gods. Uh, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. So you're saying that's, if I'm understanding what you're getting at, this is where they uh, they accepted this covenant. They said, I do. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And they were told to teach their children to keep this covenant because they'd agreed to this covenant if they if they, if they wanted to remain his people. Otherwise, he would send them away. So, yes, this is th- there's a great parallel here uh, in marriage and in um, being a Christian in this respect. It isn't just something that you mentally agree to for a while because it suits your purposes. It's a lifelong obligation, as it were, and agreeing to, uh, and agreeing to follow a, the, the the father, as it, as it were, in this case. And so there, there's this um, idea all throughout the prophets. He kind of symbolizes it by them breaking their vow, and therefore he would cast them away. You mean you even have a whole book in the book of Hosea, where. Where the, the parallel is, harlot, is, yes, yeah, it's, and it's a parallel with God and His relationship with Israel because they were unfaithful to Him by honoring and worshiping other gods and so forth. So the idea that marriage is just some kind of, as I mentioned before, sociological construct or um, you know a social thing is uh, simply not in the Bible at all. It's a much more serious proposition than that. And that's why, ironically enough, our, our romance-oriented culture, self, self-oriented culture, tends to denigrate this. But that's why in ancient times in societies like Hebrew and early Christian cultures, they, they arrange these relationships. Adults arrange these relationships so that there hopefully would be stability and, and um, 
they didn't try just to marry off their daughter to someone that she didn't care about or their son to someone he didn't want to marry so they would could get rich that that was that could that happened of course because there's always wicked people but it's just that uh, they were trying to arrange a life that the two young people could thrive in and that would be stable. And so they tried to make, make an effort to pick people that they would be able to live with. That's what fathers and mothers would do today. And that's what fathers and mothers did then. because But they were doing it in an arranged way, partly, so that it would be stable and permanent. And not something that you get fall in love, you fall out, you fall back in love, you fall out. Unstable like it is today. You know, people complain about arranged marriages, but things aren't any better today, I can guarantee you. Whatever whatever harm and emotional difficulties people had with arranged marriages, it probably pales in comparison to what goes on today and the heartbreak uh, and sin that goes on today in the way we do marriage in the United States. Well, Ken, I, ha- I have another one for you if you want to just read this. I-, I may not read it on the air, but this is this one's food for thought. This is from Revelation chapter 19. And go to verse 6 and read through verse 10. Uh, so basically take a look at that. That's food for thought. One of the lines is verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. If you put that in context, basically that bride is the heavenly Jerusalem. Right. Yeah, right. And it says, "Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb." Uh, you know, it's it's th- these allusions to this parallel are throughout text. I mean, there we we mentioned Hosea, but it's in it's in Joel, right near where Peter quoted in Acts two. It's 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 all over the place. I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Gary, but Ken sent me. Um, papers on Jewish marriage customs or wedding customs and I'm working those over I'm probably going to do some teaching teaching on that because I thought it was very interesting although uh, I have to make clear Ken that the the Jewish wedding customs are not something spelled out in the text of scripture scripture. they're based upon tradition but with a lot of traditions there is certainly a scriptural basis for the tradition although uh, it's something that, but when you begin to bind what God didn't bind, as if God said it, you can get into problems. But there's a, there's a reason why, like I'm, that's what I mentioned about arranged marriages, why things were like they were. People were often trying to figure out a way to keep these this commandment of being one flesh and it being a permanent thing. They were trying to figure out how to do that, and so um, they come came up with these traditions. Somebody texted in, Ken, that a bath on your wedding night is not that bad of an idea. Maybe not especially back then. And probably true. I don't think that bathing was as common as it is today. I, I don't know about that. But uh, anyway, um, and also someone said leaving father or mother, John said, leaving Texan, leaving father and mother is not a physical change, but a mental change. The groom has gone from boyhood to manhood. And that's true. Uh, although the Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother, some cu- cultures have it that the woman leaves her family and some that the man leaves his family. And so maybe that does go to the point that it is, 
And that's how I felt about it, even though I had a very strong uh, family growing up as far as my birth family. I was doing my, I was on my own now. I was starting off on my own, and sometimes in a, <laughs> I emphasize that maybe a little too much in a wrong way, but but uh, that was an, that's an important thing. I, I think that people lose that. I think that's why people don't get married today, is they don't want to leave home. They don't want to go out on their own. They don't want to strike out well, and do well, na- nature is going to force you to leave your father and mother at some point in your life generally children outlive their parents and yeah, but basically you're preparing for a time when you have to be but i having having own. done marriage counseling i I'll, I'll gary i'm not disagreeing with what you're saying there but mm-hmm. having done marriage counseling i'll go with john's point here a little bit that some people never do leave their father and mother even if their father and mother has been dead for 10 years okay they don't. They never get over. Well, Daddy said this, or Mama said this, or this is the way it was in my house, and growing up, and that causes tremendous because it's a it's an affront to the new relationship, and yet the Bible teaches multi generational families in that you you have to care for your father and mother, and there's a there, right. there ought to be transgenerational they're, they're, care and right. love there, but he's trying to he's trying to and that's why in the West over time. We came to have more emphasis, partly one of the reasons why, on nuclear families rather than all just extended families. I mean, I have, as you you know, five children, and I have sons-in-laws and daughter-in-laws, and I have 20 grandchildren, soon to have a great-grandchild. And so that makes me, now my father's dead, so that makes me the patriarch of my family, as it were. Uh, Do they have to do everything I say? Well, they ought to, but they don't. (laughs) <laughs> nor do I expect them to. There was a time when it would have been when closer. It would have been that way, and that's probably, and, and yet, what's the Bible emphasize? The Bible doesn't emphasize that as much as it emphasizes, particularly in the New Testament, a man and his wife, that family, because it's a parallel to Christ and the and church, church, you see, and my relationship then of as a Christian to Christ is paralleled. So let, it, uh, let me go back one, a little bit, Mike. God to, doesn't have grandchildren yeah. is another slogan I've heard. But basically, let me go back just for a moment to that um, tradition versus scripture. Uh, if you look in, you know, if you even go back to traditional Christian weddings and the ceremony, that one of the lines that I heard from the day I was almost aware to understand what it was, one of the lines in that wedding ceremony was until death do us part well you can find that in scripture they took that directly from scripture Uh, so you can get an idea from scripture where these things come from Mm -hmm. I believe that's that's not so you know it's just (laughs) it's hard because something else go ahead what no you're no you're you're correct that's exactly right I think a wedding ceremony as I say until death shall separate you but it's the same yeah. thing uh, one, one of the things I took out of the wedding ceremonies I do a while back Gary, Gary is um, if anyone has any objections to this uh, marriage speak, speak now or forever hold your peace yeah. no I, I don't want to get into that they should have <laughs> spoken up a long time ago <laughs> this, this is not, they had a chance it's too late now I'm not going to have them disrupt some wedding ceremony for some ridiculous reason you had your chance. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> but the, I just eliminated that one. 
But, you know, th- those things can be found. Gen- generally, those things can be found in Scripture. And, yeah, and there's right. no problem. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Well, Ken, I, uh, you have, what do you else you want to say about this? Okay. Exodus 24 is the reference you gave. Right. Right. There's all these symbols. That's right. In order to for the bride to become the... Uh, it paralleled, and I don't think the Jews intended it this way. It paralleled the Jews' mikvah, their washing before the wedding ceremony. It, the crossing of the Red Sea is the washing in the water. And of course, in First Corinthians chapter ten, I believe it is, he says that that the Jews, Israel, was baptized in the Red Sea under the yeah, cloud. Okay. Yeah, so, I was going to look that one up. So I think it's First Corinthians ten. It could be Second Corinthians ten. I. I I think it's First Corinthians 10, first couple verses there, Gary. But in any event, uh, yes, there's a, there's all of these parallels that are often missed as to why it's important to uh, to honor marriage in the right way and to understand what you're doing. Yeah, First Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. But they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. And then for most of them, God was not well pleased. And their bodies rotted in the wilderness and so forth. Which is an interesting verse for those who say, once you're saved, you're always saved. Here were people that were baptized to Moses here. And essentially became God's people when that happened. They were drinking from the rock of Christ, and yet he says in the next verse that they displeased God because of what they did, and he, and he scattered their carcasses in the wilderness. So, yes, uh, I don't think that that passage teaches that once you're saved, you you're can never do anything them. that you could be lost by, from doing. It teaches just the opposite of that. But in, in any event... Um, and, and this is an example of, of an inspired writer pointing back to an event that basically is a form of prophecy. It's yes, a, we, you're, you're, it's a parallel, and you're not seeing that at the time, but uh, now you see through this statement in the New Testament what that really meant, and it emphasizes the importance not only of marriage, uh, but of baptism in this case. Uh, well, Ken, we're going to uh, try to wrap this up here in just I a minute. I have a question but, for but, Ken, if, right. we, if we can. Ken, I've got a question for you. may not be able to answer it here, but uh, Jewish high days... Is there such a thing as a high Sabbath, and if there is, what is it? What makes it different? Okay, so if if a special holiday, say, designated by a day of the month, falls on a Sabbath, you're saying that becomes a high Sabbath? Is Is that the way it works? Okay. So that's why it was called, Gary's been studying the crucifixion. And trial so that so that the Passover fell on a Sabbath day, and John calls it a high day. A high day, and that's what Gary's. That's what I thought that reference meant. That it was a Sabbath day, that also fell. I mean, a holy day that that fell on a Sabbath day because not all of them would. Because that day was designated by the day of the month. Yeah, day of the month, not the day of the week. Right. right. But sometimes, just like. Christmas falls on Sunday sometimes, right? Or yeah. Easter falls on Sunday sometimes. 
I hate the example of Easter. <laughs> I'm just giving you I'm just giving you a parallel, and people think that makes it a more special day that year because it falls on the Sunday. Now, uh, and that's probably what John meant when he called it a high day. What? Y- yes, the concept of the re- around the time around the resurrection is the ho- is the first fruits. Okay, I thought the first fruits was the was, was Pentecost. Uh, P- Pentecost. Okay. Yeah, that was and, and Pentecost was the fiftieth day that began the count after the Sabbath. I think is the way it worked. Okay. I'm glad I don't have to remember all that stuff <laughs> sometimes. All right, finish up. So they, they the bride, uh, I think you've made this statement before that in Western culture we emphasize the importance of the bride at the wedding. Jew, the Jewish customs emphasize the significance of the, or the primacy of the groom. So the groom goes to the father's, to his bride's house and gets her, brings her back to his house, as it were, or to the feast, and then marries her. They have a bath, she has a bath before, huh? What's that? Yes, okay. Christ comes back to, Christ comes back then to receive his bride and as it says in John 10, that I go away to prepare a place for you, and when I come back, I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. That's also a, pro- a possible reference, or maybe un- may have been understood by the dis- disciples, if they thought about it later, as a reference to the marriage of the Lamb. Is that correct? Okay. All right. Oh, yes, at a wedding, right? Yeah, I know we need to move on, but I, we were in Cana the, a couple of years ago in the little city of Cana. We come through there on the bus. You know, we didn't really stop there, I don't think. And you see all, and, and I think there's a re- little sign about the, the first miracle. But uh, you look around these shops, and upstairs a couple of these shops where they've got these glass windows, and one of them all down this one street were all these wedding gowns and bridal shops in Cana. And if, I'm thinking, that's really out of... If you're there, and you... It's an Arab town, and it's kind of run down a little bit from my re- recollection of it, like all the Arab areas over there. And you're thinking, why have they got a beautiful wedding shop here? Well, then, oh, well, that's because that's people because. come there because that's where Jesus did his first miracle at a wedding, and it's a popular place for weddings, apparently, in Israel. Anyway, yeah, we need to move on though. And we do we do Las Vegas, so that's shows where we are <laughs> yeah. as our place to get married. Well, uh, you have anything else to add, Ken, before we move on? All right, I appreciate your call very much, and we'll talk again sometime soon. Okay, uh, Jerry, are you there? Well, let me ask you quickly, Jerry. I know you, uh, what when you say. ESP, do you mean the ability to read somebody else's minds, or are you talking about receiving visions? That's fine. Good. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, here's the thing about this a little bit. I, 
extrasensory perception. And it was a big thing when I was a young man back in the six, late 60s and 70s. There was a lot of talk about this. And the idea then was, of course, because of modern science, we're going to be able to uh, read people's minds. And there's a lot of people that have say they have this well, it, was, it, revolved, it revolved around predicting the future. Predicting too. the future, right? Uh, or, you know, predicting. Now, you know, some people can put facts together that are pointing to the future and do it pretty well. I'm not sure that that's what everybody's thinking about when it turns to ESP or something like that. But uh, Jean Dixon was popular way back when I was in high school. She was doing a lot of these things but when you when you get right down to looking at Gene Dixon's success rate it was not a very high percentage right now I want to go back a little bit and to answer Jerry's question he, he may or may not like the answer that I'm going to give here but um, you take somebody else brought up and I've got it in my stack here I want to talk about this subject soon I thought we might do it today if we didn't have any calls we did you know, when did miracles cease and so forth? And speaking in tongues came up. What about this speaking in tongues? I can't deny, for example, that people have some experience, a charismatic experience, where they speak in, an, in to them an unknown language of some sort. They view it as a language. I can't deny that that actually happens. I can question what it actually is. That just yes. because they speak gibberish for a while and don't know what they're saying, I don't necessarily think that that means that God is speaking through them. Or like me, I had this experience when I was a teenager of, uh, you know, passing out and going through this long, dark tunnel and seeing the light and thinking I saw God when I woke up. I thought I saw God, and it really altered me for a while. No one can tell me that didn't happen. Oh, that didn't happen. No, you're wrong. It did happen. I was there. And I'm not lying about that. My question is not whether that happened. My question is, what does it mean? Did I actually see God? And I say, no. I, I'm the one who had the experience. And I say, no, I didn't see God. I have an explanation for that. But it doesn't fit just because it sounds like what somebody said that they saw God. You see, because people have the same experience and they see the devil too. You know, and or other things. But uh, and, and funny thing is, this is kind of near-death experience been going on. Maybe we should have a show about that. Uh, people that don't believe in God, Hindus have this experience, Muslims have this experience, atheists have this experience. Under certain medical conditions, people have this experience. Well, there was a high percentage of people had it. There was an interesting book that I read. I think this was back in the 80s, uh, this guy wrote. And because all of these, these things were being reported about, all these people that had these near-death experiences were experiencing seeing the light and pleasant things and he says there are a lot of people that experience oh, yeah. very unpleasant yes, things that they do and, and so I'm saying it's one thing to say you have this experience it's quite another to interpret what that experience is or what it means and I think sometimes we leap from one to the other in a Christian context and we're making a mistake when we do that so once again like I said, Jerry may not like my interpretation. I don't believe that the experience of having premonitions or uh, what, bad feelings about an event or good feelings about an event or thinking that you know what somebody is going to say, the like experience of deja vu, for example, yeah. is often used as a 
part of this gift. I don't think that that means that you have the ability to read people's minds or have some special God-given talent. I think I think there are other explanations besides this, as we would call it, a miraculous thing. Some people do have a gift of intuition. I think probably I would say experientially, females in particular have uh, more gifts of seeing a bigger picture of intuition. And here, but here's the reason why, Jerry, that I would say in general, I do not believe in extrasensory perception that one person can read another person's mind. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, talking about uh, the revelation he gave that God has intended to re- reveal to man. He says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1, uh, not 1, 2, I believe it is, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So he says, in you, for you, he says, of a man, the only one that knows what's in my mind is my spirit. No one else knows what's in my mind, my spirit. And he says, no one knows what's in God's mind except his spirit. And so therefore, the only way we can know what God thinks is by God revealing it through His Spirit, in this case, the Holy Spirit. So the only way that you can really know what I think is if I reveal it to you somehow. Now, we can reveal things to people, and some people are good at this. They're good at reading expressions on your face or actions. We can reveal things as humans by words and by actions and so forth and by, or by expressions. We can reveal what we think. And sometimes we reveal more than we intend to yes. by our expressions and by things that we do. We betray ourselves. But but the fact is, the Bible says clearly that no one can know what's in my heart except I, unless I tell him or reveal it to him somehow. So I don't believe, I believe that if somebody is able to, quote unquote, read my mind, it's because I have in some way revealed it to them. Now, the reason that this might seem like, yet on the other hand, I'm not saying that some people don't have uh, a little bit exaggerated beyond uh, average ability to in- see what people are intending to do before they say it out loud, but based on you know their actions or their other words. I think I think uh, my wife is better at this than me of seeing the general situation that might exist in a relationship based on a lot of factors over a period of time, but what people have said and done. Her well, mind I, is able to put that together better than the male mind, which is much more linear. Well, I think Mike doesn't uh, mean she's reading their mind or has ESP. It, yeah, there there are a lot of things that both men and women do that I think, as they gain experience and knowledge in certain things, you kind of make an unconscious analysis of it. You you don't often consciously say, "I'm taking this fact and this fact, I'm putting this together, and I'm going to come up with this conclusion." It kind of it's, yeah, there's it's, several it's, memes, though, about the couple lying in bed, and the, yeah. the, the, the man's laying there with this funny look on his face, and, and the little bubble over the woman saying, oh, he's, he's uh, upset, and I wonder if it's what I did, and I wonder if he's got a, he must have a girlfriend, you know, and she's got all this going on, the little bubble over the man says, boy, that pizza was good last night. <laughs> okay, so, so this is where we are a lot of the time, so be careful. Be careful if about it. If you think you have a gift, 
it'd be extremely careful because I don't think you can read somebody's mind. Can are some people better at seeing the circumstances that exist and, it's, and yeah. reading someone's mood and inclination? Yes, they are. Is that a divine gift? Well, not in the way that people think. It, not a miraculous gift. Uh, some people have abilities that others don't have. Some people have better eyesight than others. It kind of falls in that category. Yes. So, so therefore, that's how I would say the Bible's clear. I don't. I've I've never believed in telepathy or ESP for the simple reason that God says the only one that can know the spirit of a man is what is his own spirit in him, unless he reveals it. So. But now, uh, I don't, don't presume to read people's minds. It's very dangerous. It's very presumptuous. It's very sometimes almost evil to try to read people's minds and base your actions on what you think they're thinking. Okay, but be very careful. Mike and I are not saying that the the apostles did not receive information and that Jesus did not provide them with... Well, that's with Paul's the, the, whole the, point in this whole passage. passage. He brings this the, up by saying the reason I can tell you what God thinks it, is... Is because, because God's told me. Yes. It isn't because I have some special gift of that nobody else has. God told me these things through his spirit. And, and, and so he's Je- claiming Jesus, that. Right. And the, the passage you quoted, I think, is in John 14. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Right. So, so Paul that, is speaking about that, Revelation in 1 Corinthians, yeah. or second. Yeah, that's a that's a miraculous thing, and and that occurred. Uh, what Mike and I are saying is, if we we understand the scriptures to say that those things ended at a point, right? That's exactly right. So uh, anyway, that would be my general answer to the question of a gift. Now, I think the I think that my warning to people who have if they if you think that you have extraordinary ability to read people's minds or see the future, uh, I think you should be extremely cautious about exercising that ability with people. Because, well, I sit on the show all the time. I, a lot of stuff is going on today, Gary. You can ask my wife. I predicted this 40 or 50 years ago, literally. It, it, be, not because I'm a genius or because God told me, but because if you could understand the times you were in then and what people were thinking, you could see where it was going and yet I'm constantly surprised the way things turn out what things do how things happen the details of what comes out of that but and directions it goes and, and what I'm saying is you were looking at the past seeing the present and seeing changes and were able to project those onto the future because of the idea of well if you believe this then you're going to you have to also believe this eventually and if you believe that then this is where the logical step for that goes Right, and people can't see. People don't. It's amazing to me that people don't see this today. What the logical conclusions of some of these things that we're seeing taught by uh, the uh, progressives, both in religion and politics today, what the logical conclusions of those things well, are. There was there was a story on uh, one of the Fox News channels uh, that one of the lady commentators was talking about relative to what we're doing with pedophiles. Basically, we're trying to legitimize pedophilia. And she said... That was easily predictable a long time well, ago. Here, here's the point is, I had heard her talk about, you know, we need to embrace the gay movement and they're, they're okay and all of this thing and that's morally sound and all of this. And now she's lamenting the fact that pedophile or pedophilia, the pedophilia 
is being made legitimate as well. And I'm screaming to myself constantly, why do well, you not? How, how do you not understand? No, number what, one, they can't reproduce yeah. on their own. And number two, if you accept the premise that it, it, if people have a sexual inclination, that that's an orientation that they were born with, and you have to accept that orientation that people were born with. People, you're going to have to accept that people were born with the idea, with the desire to have sex with young people. Because some people have that fetish. And it's a psychological disorder, but they desire sex with young people or children. It's just been known for centuries that that's a certain percentage of people. And if homosexuality should be accepted because it's just another sexual orientation that you can't condemn because they were born with this desire... You certainly can't condemn pedophiles for being born with that desire also. Well, okay. she, she That's was, a logical conclusion that's going to come true right as it is. And she's saying, well, how did we get here? And I'm thinking, you're exactly the reason we got here by what you right. embrace. Trying to be nice, as it were, and embracing logic of uh, statements or propositions that lead somewhere. And they lead logically to a conclusion that you have to draw. So now we can then discuss what should be done about it and whether we should how society should treat those people, but that's a different issue than saying than, than embracing the whole thing. Well, someone texted in. Uh, I agree because the psychic network would have predicted that they were going to go off the air if they really <laughs> had the ability. <laughs> of course, they'll say, "Oh, that's not what it is." Well, that's the that's the way it's certainly the way it's presented and advertised that we can tell you your future. Well. The the shoe cartoon that I saw, he's they're looking in the crystal ball and and shoes kind of looking over there and it says, well, if you can predict the future, why aren't you rich? <laughs> I, I went to once in college in Tampa. I was first in college. We I don't know where I was with some people, and so we came upon this hand palm reader, psychic palm reader. So I went in and had a reading. <laughs> and that must have been fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so uh, it's funny you can pick which hand because they got different marks on them because of my cerebral palsy, a little bit different looking hands. But anyway, she she said that you're you're going to uh, marry young, but that your true love will not come to you till much later in life. And blah blah blah. She told me all this kind of stuff. It's your You'll marry young, that person will die, and you'll find your true love, and this and that. That's some kind of thing like that. So I'm still waiting for my true love 48, <laughs> 50 years later, Gary. <laughs> Been married to the same woman for 48 years. I'm still waiting for my true love. I hope she, maybe she's going to die soon. I don't know. And, you know, I'm just being facetious here. <laughs> so, But I was supposed to take, now, here's the thing about it. As a young person, if I was a vul- emotionally vulnerable person, that kind of garbage would have could have impacted choices that I made. Yes. And become almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, impacted choices in a very detrimental way to me. But it's, so it's not harmless. That's why I'm cautioning you. Be careful when you throw around the I have a special gift from God stuff. That's true for everybody. So I think, Jerry, yes, it's possible that you may have a the gift of intuition and premonitions about what's going to happen. I, I would encourage you make keep a record of all the ones that you every one that you feel, every intuition, every premonition. Write it down and take a look at it in six months and see 
what percentage of them actually turn out to be correct. What's the sex, what, what's the success rate? Success rate of that, and don't and be brutal about assessing that. And that doesn't mean that you don't can't be have insight and helpfulness. That's called wisdom sometimes. So there's other words for it, but. But I would be cautious of saying this is a special gift from God that you can read people's minds. The Bible doesn't support that idea. Well, we've got about three minutes left. Uh, I, I really do appreciate uh, Ken calling and Jerry uh, calling calling back and, and uh, uh, the participation we've had from people that are texting. never did give the email for the show. If you'd like to reach the show by calling, you can call 772-340-1590. We've got a couple minutes left. Glad to talk with you quickly. We also, you can reach us by text message, 772-260-6120, or and 6220. You can also reach us by email at justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. And I'll tell you something that one, one we, last we would love to have is, is, is suggestions for shows and topics. Go ahead, Gary. If you think you're getting a message from God, remember what John says in First John. Test the spirits. Test the spirits whether they be from God. That's, That's right. right. Because there are many false spirits gone out and into I the world. I think Paul spirits says... Spirits and idea. Yeah, what Paul says, let him acknowledge that what I write comes from God. I if think any man somewhere. thinks himself to be spiritual, 1 Corinthians 14, yeah. Yeah. 34, let him acknowledge that the things that I write are the word of God. God. So There you go. And if so a person wants to be spiritual, the first thing they have to say is, I believe in what the scriptures say. And I Exactly. Say, take it seriously that, that, that that's out. the message that's the message well uh I, I do as i mentioned we do appreciate your participation in the show and thank you so much for that and maybe you've got a question or comment you can let us know this week or plan to call in uh next week to do that let me tell you a little bit about the church here uh on savona boulevard uh, as i mentioned me and gary are the elders of the church i'm the preacher do a lot of the teaching he does some of the teaching and but this church is based on the idea that we need to be just Christians and follow what the scriptures say in both our private and public lives and in our lives as a church. So we're only going to practice things that we find in the scriptures and we're going to have authority for the things that we do in that way. And so that's why our services might look a little different, but there's a reason for that. So you're going to find a group of Christians here when you come and visit us, and I hope that you do, who are just plain ordinary people. There's no one rich here. There's no one famous here who are trying to worship God, singing to God from their own hearts. Uh, we have preaching and teaching and prayer. We have communion every week and participate in the sacrifice of Christ in that way and remembering his death. So we'd like to invite you. You can come and join with us this morning at 10 and 11 and 7.30 on Wednesday nights at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. So we thank you very much. Appreciate you listening. Hope you'll tune in again next week, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.